Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 115, and we are going to take a look at the United States Department of Justice, also known as the DOJ. This one was very interesting. I learned a lot. So much of it I had no clue. I thought I knew stuff about the Department of Justice, like I thought I had a good general education about it. I didn't know the first thing, apparently, but I'm learning as I go along with this. But first of all, um, let me give a big shout out to my listeners. I don't have my my extensive list in front of me at the moment because my computer is charging. So I'm just going to say thank you so much for joining me. All the people that have joined me previously, all the different countries that are listening in, all the different states and territories. You guys are wonderful. I love to see you here. It's really nice to have fellowship with you. In terms of a little bit of housekeeping, I found another thing to celebrate in the month of June. Apparently it is National Home Ownership Month. That's a wonderful thing. So if you are looking for a home, I pray that you find one and that you find the home of your dreams. I think that's wonderful to invest in real estate, to invest in yourself. That's wonderful. That that is such a good thing to have. And plus I've met people over the years I can always tell when they have just purchased a home cuz first of all they're super excited and they just love to have people over, they love to entertain and you know they can't wait to tell you, "Hey, this is our first home." or you know however many homes they've had and they're just so excited about this new endeavor. So that's wonderful. So even if you are not sure about purchasing a home, first of all, I would pray about it. Number 2, I would take that leap of faith and look into it. I really would because home ownership is a wonderful responsibility to have because it's something that you own. It's not something that somebody else owns. It's something that you own and you get to be a part of society in, in a different way. So that's always a fun thing to do. So just FYI, again, it is National Home Ownership Month. So again, take that leap of faith and give it a try. So let's go ahead and take a look at this puppy again. It is the United States Department of Justice. And if you hear any funky noises in the background, I am doing a little bit of laundry before it gets really hot here in Oklahoma for the day. So just FYI, that's probably what that noise is. But again, let's take a look at the United States Department of Justice, also known as the DOJ. This department was formed July 1st, 1870. So it goes back quite a ways. Its jurisdiction is the United States federal government. Its headquarters is in Washington D.C. of the United States. As of 2019, they have 113,114 people that are actively employed by them. Their annual budget, this was kind of disheartening and shocking. As of 2019, their annual budget, meaning they're going to spend it anyway, is 29.9 billion dollars. Again, that is billion as in B, so 29.9 billion dollars. So more than likely because this is outdated information especially in terms of their budget it has it has probably skyrocketed so that's really sad and if anything that number tells me they are already overspending which is ridiculous because that means that 29.9 billion dollars of our federal tax dollars are going towards this department so it has been turned into unfortunately a bureaucracy it's gotten too big for its britches and think about it They only have a little over 113,000 employees, but yet they're overspending and it's 29.9 billion dollars. 
That's not very many employees when compared to how much money they're spending. It is really bizarre. Now, in terms of their agency executives, like who is in charge, the attorney general is Merrick Garland, and I think we've talked about the attorney general in times past. And then the deputy attorney general is Lisa Manacco. I think that's how you pronounce her name. My apologies if I have mispronounced that. But let's get more specific about this. It says the United States Department of Justice, also known as the DOJ or Justice Department, is a federal executive department of the United States government tasked with the enforcement of federal law and administration of justice in the United States. So it's a federal agency. So that's why there's probably a lot of bureaucracy going on and this is why they're overspending. It's because of the, it's a federal agency. Federal agencies tend to overspend money really quick and we see that right here with this. It says the department is headed by the US Attorney General who reports directly to the President of the United States and is a member of the President's cabinet. Again, this was formed in 1870. during the Ulysses Grant presidency so it goes back a long ways the department is composed of federal law enforcement agencies including the US Marshal Service the Federal Bureau of Investigation also known as the FBI the Bureau of Alcohol Tobacco Firearms and Explosives the Drug Enforcement Administration and the Federal Bureau of Prisons basically federal prisons basically which means they're not state run they're federal run So it's typically white collar crimes that they're dealing with. So for example, if someone is embezzling money and it deals with the federal government, they will go to federal prison, not state prison. Goes on to say the primary actions of the DOJ are investigating instances of white collar crime, representing the United States government in legal matters, such as in cases before the Supreme Court. and running the federal prison system. Now I'm kind of surprised that this department runs the federal prison system because they have so many other things to do. So, I'm kind of surprised by this because our prison systems, whether they're whether they are state or federal, I don't think they are run very well. I think people unfortunately get lost in the system when it comes to being a prisoner, and that's very unfortunate, which is why I think there are many prisoners whose rights are violated and they're not always taken care of in the best possible manner so i think we need to work on that so it says here such as in cases before the supreme court and running the federal prison system the department is also responsible for reviewing the conduct of local law enforcement as directed by the violent crime control and law enforcement act of 1994 We will take a look at that act later in time, but it's good to have a foundation so we know what we're going to be taking a look at. It's good to know a little bit about the history. The office of the Attorney General was established by the Judiciary Act of 1789 as a part-time job for one person. Over time this grew also because sometimes bureaucracies get involved, and so that's why this department has gotten too big for its britches and why it overspends. On February 19, 1868, Lawrence introduced a bill in Congress to create the Department of Justice. President U- Ulysses S. Grant signed the bill into law on June 22, 1870. Now, and if you want to know who Lawrence is, I skipped a part. It's Congressman William Lawrence. 
He was the one introduced a bill in Congress to create the Department of Justice, which you know was a good thing to do. We did need it for sure. Grant appointed Amos T. Ackerman as Attorney General and Benjamin H. Bristow as America's first Solicitor General the same week that Congress created the Department of Justice. The department's immediate function was to preserve civil rights. It set about fighting against domestic terrorist groups who had been using both violence and litigation to oppose the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments to the Constitution. Both Ackerman and Bistow, or Bistow used the Department of Justice to vigorously prosecute the, the Ku Klux Klan members in the early 1870s. In the first few years of Grant's first term in office, there were 1,000 indictments against Klan members with over 550 convictions from the Department of Justice. By 1871, there were 3,000 indictments and 600 convictions with most only serving brief sentences while the ringleaders were imprisoned for up to five years in the federal penitentiary in Albany, New York. The result was a dramatic decrease in violence in the South. I think sometimes when people are ignorant of history, which is bad anyway when people are ignorant of history, but when they are ignorant of this kind of history, they don't realize that the United States has always tried to preserve justice and protect human life. Just because it didn't happen overnight doesn't mean that they did not care. Unfortunately, there are people... that will always side with injustice and try and get, you know, get away with it. But the good thing about the United States is that the majority of Americans do not behave that way. They very much believe in justice and they very much value human rights, which is why this presidency and the DOJ at the time went after Ku Klux Klan members because they, they were killing people, they were being very violent, and they were intimidating people. setting people's property in their houses on fire besides killing people and lynching African Americans so the federal government did very much get involved to stop that and to prevent it and to say hey we're not doing that that's not what the united states is founded on and we are not going to tolerate because it is a violation of human rights just basic human rights so we see here that the united states has fought for human rights you know ever since the founding of our country because we are one of the few countries that actually truly cares about human rights that's why so many people still come to the United States from other countries because we are still number 1 and we value human life so it says here the act to establish the department of justice drastically increased the attorney general's responsibilities to include the supervision of all United States attorneys formally under the Department of the Interior, the prosecution of all federal crimes, and the representation of the United States in all court actions, barring the use of private attorneys by the federal government. The law also created the Office of Solicitor General to supervise and conduct government litigation in the Supreme Court of the United States. With the passage of the Interstate Commerce Act in 1887, the federal government took on some law enforcement responsibilities, and the Department of Justice was tasked with performing these. In 1884, control of federal prisons was transferred to the new department 
from the Department of the Interior. A little bit about the headquarters. I didn't know this. It says the United States Department of Justice building was completed in 1935. So that's the current building that they have. At least that's what it tells me. And that's how how to describe this. That's why it's located in Washington D.C. because it is a federal agency. But it's one of those things that they need a place to call home. So it's going to be in our nation's capital. So the good thing about these different agencies is is they really did try and bring their locations together to have one location so that way if powers did need to be not powers excuse me wrong word if responsibilities did get transferred to another department it's not going to be going to another state or another town it's going to be in the same area in our nation's capital because what we don't want is for this to take place or to be headquartered and let's say I'm going to make up a a place where it would not be let's say New York or Florida or something we don't want a government agency for the federal government to be in another state like that and then if responsibilities transfer then how are they going to know which department to put it in so they want to make sure that it is headquartered in our capital because it all needs to be centrally located see our government it really has tried i know i It's going to sound like I'm siding with the federal government, but I'm not. I'm just trying to make a statement here that it's better to have things centralized, especially when it becomes so big. Because when it's spread out all over the place, when you're dealing with stuff at a federal level, it makes it very difficult to get the job done. An example of this would be, let's say for example, we have things going on here in Oklahoma, but our offices in order to fight crime are located in Ohio. Of course that would never happen because we would not have jurisdiction in Ohio and vice versa but we would never have our offices located in another state. It needs to be centralized. So for things that deal with the federal government it needs to be centralized in our state in our excuse me our country's capital whereas depending on what state you live in let's say you live in California California state issues are going to be defended or prosecuted within the state of California. So it's very important to remember those things. It's kind of like real estate. What what are the most what are the top 3 important things in real estate? Location, 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 right? Well, that same rule of thumb applies when you're dealing with federal jurisdictions and state jurisdictions. Location, location, location. Because it eliminates a lot of problems. So that way you know what the right hand is doing, you know, and the left hand is doing. So it's one of those things, keep it simple, keep it clean. Next we're going to talk about some of their divisions within the Department of Justice and this deals with the organizational part of this department. And what we're going to see is how many divisions they have and we're going to talk about you know the year that their division was established. So you have this federal agency, right? But within the federal agency, you have basically all these different departments, which is quote unquote a division. So let's take a look at these. So the first one is the Antitrust Division. That was established in 1933. Remember, we had the Roaring Twenties—excuse me, Roaring Twenties—and then we had the stock market crash. So obviously, you know, we do need to take a look at antitrust laws and the antitrust division. So there's a reason why they established this division. Okay, the next one is the Civil Division, and it was originally called the Claims Division, but the Civil Division was established in 1933. The Civil Rights Division was created in 
The criminal division was created in 1919. The environment and natural resources division was created in 1909, and it was originally called the land and natural resources division. I'm surprised that it goes back all the way to 1909 because you know, if you go by what our media and what our culture and society says today, it makes it seem like nobody cared about the environment except for our current generation or maybe the people that, you know, were around in the 1960s and 70s, which that's not true. People have always cared about the environment in the United States and we see right here, it goes back to the turn of the century. So that's very important to remember that people of every generation cared about this country. People of every generation cared about the environment. People of every generation cared about human rights and cared about doing what is right. So we need to make sure that that we're not casting slurs and we're not putting everybody in the same basket whenever, you know, we discover that some atrocity happened or something didn't go the way we thought it should. Not everybody was on the same page with things like this. But there were good people in every generation, just like there are good, kind people in our current generation, and there will be good and kind people in every generation going forward. That's what makes the United States such a good and beautiful country. It's the people; it's not the government, because we, the people, are the government. So don't underestimate your importance to this country if you are a citizen. Now, if you are not a citizen of the United States, first of all, you don't have the right to vote, and you shouldn't have the right to vote. But also what you have to say about our country in terms of what we do here doesn't really matter because you're not a citizen. And I don't mean that negatively, but it's just one of those things your opinion and your thoughts about us doesn't really hold water compared to people that are actually citizens here, actually earn a living here and actually pay the taxes here and also have voting rights. That's not to say you don't matter as a person because you do, but you know it, it would be like me trying to tell the United Kingdom how to run their country. I mean, I could take a pretty good guess how to run their country, but my words are not really going to be as relevant as someone that actually lives there and is a citizen of that country. Because they're the ones that actually live there and they know what's going on in their country, especially on a day-to-day uh, excuse me, day-to-day basis. But because I'm not a citizen of the United Kingdom and I don't live there, then, you know, it wouldn't make sense for me to expect people to weigh my opinion or my thoughts or words to be just as important as somebody that is a citizen of that country and and actually lives there is my point. The next division that was created was the Justice Management Division. It was originally called the Administrative Division, and this division was created in 1945. The next one is the National Security Division. It was created or formed in 2006. The next one is the tax division. I'm kind of surprised by this one. It was established in 1933. I'm surprised but not surprised at the same time because this is when a lot of antitrust laws and stuff were passed and we're dealing with a stock market crash and um we're dealing with a lot of people that were swindling people in the stock market and so the federal government was trying to figure out how did these crooks swindle so many people and so they figured out how they swindled all these people. but the crooks have the crooks swindled people and so they passed a lot of laws making what these bad people did illegal so that way they could prosecute these people going forward whereas because there were certain laws and regulations that were not on the books at that time 
there were a lot of bad things that bad people got away with because it wasn't considered illegal. So it's one of those things that we we learned our lesson. And the good thing about our government is that sometimes it is good to be reactive but also proactive. So they're trying to protect people's futures currently and going forward going all the way back to 1933. So they were trying to do good even though our country was dealing with a lot, especially in terms of the stock market, um also the dust bowl and a whole lot of other things that were going on in this country. So just know that the tough times that we're going through right now It's no different than the tough times previous generations have gone through, but just know that you know tough times don't last; tough people do. And that's not my quote. That comes from Kenneth Copeland, which, if you haven't heard or seen him, you need to look at some of his messages because they are very uplifting to your faith, and it really reminds us that God is in control and that He, you know, God loves us. So, just FYI, I didn't come up with that quote. That comes from Kenneth Copeland. The next division that was created was the War Division, and that was created in 1942. But it says here it was abolished or just established in 1945. A little bit about their law enforcement agencies. It says several federal law enforcement agencies are administered, or sorry, administered by the Department of Justice. The first one is the United States Marshal Service, and we've talked a little bit about the Marshal Service, just a little bit. It says the office of U.S. Marshal was established by the Judiciary Act of 1789, so it goes back quite a ways. The United States Marshal Service was established as an agency in 1969, and it was elevated to full bureau status under the Justice Department in I'm sorry, in 1974. So a lot of things happened in the 1970s that that we don't talk about, um, but we need to remember that you know. You know, it's like I said, every generation has people that care and they're trying to do good. So we need to remember that sometimes the things that we have that are taking place today, they're taking place because of the good things that people did in the past. It didn't just drop out of the sky. Like people noticed an issue and they wanted to do some good. The next agency is the Federal Bureau of Investigation, also known as the FBI. It says on July 26, uh, 1908, a small investigative force was created within the Justice Department under Attorney General Charles Bonaparte. The following year, this force was officially named the Bureau of Investigation by Attorney General George W. Uh, Wickersham. And then in 1935, the bureau adopted its current, excuse me, current name. I need to get a drink of water. Hold on, just a second. I'll be right back. Don't leave me. I don't want to hit pause on this podcast because one time I did that when I was filming this or recording it, and it completely stopped my my podcast, and then I couldn't get back into the episode. So then I had to completely redo the whole thing. Okay, so moving on. Let's see here. We have the Federal Bureau of Prisons. It says the Three Prisons Act of 1891 created the federal prison system. Congress, sorry, Congress created the Federal Bureau of Prisons in 1930, and let's see here, it was signed into law by President Hoover on May 14, 1930. The next one that they created in terms of law enforcement agencies is the National Institute of Corrections. The next one is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. You know, there's a really funny movie that pokes fun 
at some of these bureaus and it's called thank you for smoking it is hilarious i need to re uh, rewatch that film i think it has katie holmes in it it's one of the few films that i like that she's in cuz typically i don't like her as an actress because i got used to her being on Dawson's Creek and i never really was able to switch over to her being a serious actress like in regular films and things like that but that one was really funny it says here uh the atf's uh, predecessor bureaus were part of the department of the treasury for more than 200 years it says here atf was first established by the department of treasury and that was effective july 1, 1972 it says this order transferred the functions powers and duties arising under laws relating to alcohol tobacco firearms and explosives from the internal revenue service to atf can you imagine the internal revenue service being in charge of alcohol tobacco firearms and explosives <laughs> i laugh at that i mean <laughs> They they're so vicious with our taxes sometimes. Can you imagine them having control over all that other stuff? Oh man, what a nightmare. I think that's funny. It says in 2003, under the terms of the Homeland Security Act, ATF was split into two agencies. The new Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, ATF, was transferred to the Department of Justice while the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau TTB was retained by the Department of the Treasury. Oh, so they're not going to let go of those taxes. <laughs> Now it's making more sense, right? Sometimes this stuff is funny. Okay, so the next one they created was the Drug Enforcement Administration, also known as DEA, and of course this agency also has their own office of the Inspector General. Now, within this federal agency, they do have some offices that they created. So, let's take a look at these puppies here. They have the Executive Office for Immigration Review. They have the Executive Office for US Attorneys. Next is the Executive Office of the United States Trustee. Next is the Office of Attorney Recruitment and Management. Let's see, and then they have an office of the chief information officer, basically like IT person, whatever, within this department. Then you have the office of dispute, uh, I guess, resolution. Next is office of the federal detention trustee. Then they have the office of immigration litigation. Then they have the office of information policy. Basically, it's a, a useless IT division, is what it is. Then they have the Office of Intelligence Policy and Review, another useless division. Cost of money, administrative costs. Then they have Office of Intergovernmental and Public Liaison. It's a waste of money. The next one is Office of Justice Programs. What's interesting is that they have an Office of Justice Programs, but yet there are so many human rights violations within our prison systems. um it's really sad so that's very interesting that they have that but underneath the office of justice programs are these bureaus there is the bureau of justice assistance then you have the bureau of justice statistics which is a waste of money they're basically just being counters and number counters and statistic um statistical analysis people it's not really important then you have the national institute of justice office of juvenile justice and delinquency prevention good luck with that Then you have the Office for Victims of Crime. Then you have the Sex Offender Sentencing, Monitoring, Apprehending, Registering, and Trafficking Office. Never heard of that. 
doesn't sound like they're doing a really good job considering how many uh, registered sex offenders we have and people that should be registered at, as a registered sex offender. The next one is Office of the Police Corps and Law Enforcement Education. Then we have the Office of Legal Counsel. I have no idea what that one does. We can go back and look at it later. It says Office of Legal Policy. Sounds like a waste of money. Office of Legislative Affairs. Probably a waste of money. Then we have Office of the Pardon Attorney. That sounds interesting. Then we have the Office of Privacy and Civil Liberties. It sounds like uh, I was going to say a blowhard department. I always find it interesting whenever people start talking about civil liberties, but yet they really don't even know what civil liberties are, and they use it as a way to just violate people's liberties. Like for example, I can't tell how many times I've met people that they rant and rave about, oh, we need social justice, social justice. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And then they just kind of get stumped. They get stumped and they can't tell me what it means. It's like, what do you mean by social justice? You know, what is it specifically that you're irritated about? They're like, oh, well, we just need social justice. I was like, I get that, but what specifically are you qualifying as social injustice? They can't ever tell me. It's just a blanket statement. So we need to be careful about blanket statements because they're useless, worthless, and they usually just drain you of your energy and your money, particularly your tax dollars. So, you know, be careful about what you put your money towards. Which in in terms of tax dollars, you know, it's one of those things you have to pay and you should pay, but we need to be aware of how our federal government is spending and also overspending our tax dollars. The next office that they have within this little division is Office of Professional Responsibility. Then they have the Office of Public Affairs, which is a waste of money. Then they have Office on Sexual Violence and Crimes Against Children. I think that would be better served at a state level because different states have different issues. So there's a reason why we have states' rights, and it's because no two states are exactly the same because they do not have the exact same dif- uh, demographics. They do not have the same kind of markets, and they do not have the same kinds of problems. So that's why things like this, you know, sexual violence and crimes against children, should be handled on a state by state basis. State by state basis, excuse me, because the federal government, I've never heard of them actually doing any good in regards to that. That's sad because you would think that they would stop it, but they haven't. They, if anything, at a federal level, uh, in terms of laws, they've legalized uh, pornography. So what does that say? It's kind of hypocritical to legalize pornography. It's basically legalizing sex trafficking and sexually transmitted diseases, but yet they have an office on sexual violence and crimes against children. Well, it's like if they don't care what happens to women, why would they care what happens to children? Because a lot of these young women, and also young boys, but especially these young women, they are forced into sex trafficking when they are a minor. Then, by the time they're an adult. Uh, sometimes it's too late to get them out of the system, so that's kind of sad. So then we have Office of Tribal Justice. I kind of find that hypocritical because, and I say this from the point of view of, of living in Oklahoma. You know, we have um, how do I and how do I describe this? Okay, so here in Oklahoma, in case you haven't listened to other podcasts that I have, I do encourage you to go back and listen to them because this will make more sense about what I am about to say. So in terms of the office of tribal justice, I find that kind of stupid and hypocritical, because unfortunately, we as a state, in terms of Oklahoma and as a country, in terms of the United States, we have allowed these tribes to have their own government and their own laws within our nation. 
So we basically have a nation within a nation which doesn't make sense. So basically these tribes, they they get federal tax dollars and state tax dollars, you know, all these funds, and they are protected by our laws at state and federal level, but then they have their own laws that you know, are tribal laws and it just protects their people, but it doesn't do them justice and they give themselves permission to break the law in terms of state and federal laws, but because of the way the tribes are set up, and the way their tribal justice departments are set up within a, a federal and state level they get away with committing a lot of crimes but only because a lot of these crimes take place um on their property basically on their reservations or their casinos you know it's very common here in Oklahoma for people to get beat up robbed or murdered um at these casinos that we have here in Oklahoma because their tribal police don't care to protect people that are not indian that are not native american you know a lot of these tribes are very corrupt and they have a lot of embezzlement and they have a lot of problems and they lie to their people all the time they lie to their people and say that you know you usually have a chief which now can be a woman but they have these chiefs who are in charge of their tribe and the the chief appoints you know basically people that they know that they don't have to buy off or pay off they just have their loyalty they basically appoint their friends to all these positions of power within the tribe especially when dealing with money and they just embezzle money but yet they lie to their people to their tribe and they say hey we will provide for you and you will have a home you will have a car we'll get this A lot of their people don't know that they don't actually own their home or any of their property, but yet they're lied to by their tribe, and they don't know that the tribe owns everything. Everything. It doesn't belong to any individual people. So what's interesting is that a lot of Native Americans fall into the trap of this lie, almost like socialism, almost like a nanny state. that a government entity which in this case is a tribal entity it's making this promise to their people that they're going to provide for them and they don't have to pay for anything well well the people at the top the people in charge which is the tribal chief which again can be a woman these days it's only the people at the top that have access to all the money and the goods it's not their actual people that they are supposed to be taking care of what's sad is that You know, Native Americans, they don't realize that they have way more rights as an American citizen than they do as a Native American within their tribe because their tribes technically oppress their rights and because they are suppressing their rights, they are oppressing their own people because they don't want their people to know that they are actually free. And that the federal government and state government has been trying to help them be free. for a very long time. But they keep believing this lie that their tribe keeps telling them that oh the white man's bad, you know, the United States government's bad, the United States is bad, your state is bad. It's like really if we're so bad, why do you still live here? I mean, it just makes no sense. But you see, they fall into a trap of well, I'm Native American, Therefore I'm already in a family of Native Americans and you know I I should really value what my chief says because that that's that's their political system that's their theology that's their religion and that's also their economy 
Unfortunately, it's pagan, it's corrupt, it's fraudulent. But no one ever calls them out on it. Because it's like, oh, we we can't say that about indigenous people. You know, we we can't say that. It's like, look, if you really care about other people and you really love them as a human being, then you will tell them the truth. Because at this point, the majority of Native Americans do not know the truth. They're just made all these empty promises by their tribe and the federal government. See, the federal government and technically the state They have like uh, these Indian clinics, and it's supposedly "quote unquote" free healthcare. It's not free; it's paid by our tax dollars. And guess what? It's some of the worst healthcare on the planet. It's lousy. It's horrible because it's the bottom of the barrel healthcare. And what Native Americans don't know is that they can actually get way better healthcare if they left their reservation. We're not so. financially tied to their tribe and they actually got a normal job got really great health insurance from their employer then they could go to any doctor that they want basically within the state that they live in they would have access to more doctors have access to more medicine but because native americans are duped all the time by their tribal leaders predominantly and by also the federal government such as departments like this office of tribal justice Get this, their people are not getting justice. They're being lied to on both fronts. They're being lied to by a federal bureaucracy. But they're also predominantly being lied to by their own tribe, the people in charge of their tribe. Because their tribe doesn't actually want them to know how much money they're raking in from the federal government and from the state government and from all the businesses that they own. See, here in Oklahoma, we have quite a few casinos. And then we have some casinos that they have a really nice resort like they've gotten to the business of of hotels. Get this, this is really creepy. Now these um Indian tribes are trying to start their own banks. I wouldn't trust their banking system for anything. That would be like having a leprechaun in charge of your money. You don't know what's going to happen with your money. They don't even respect or honor the laws of the land in terms of federal and state laws. Why would they honor the laws of FDIC or the other one that is for credit unions? Somehow they are getting status to do that. And I bet it's because of favoritism. I bet they are pulling every every trick in the book to to play the victim over oh, Native Americans, you white people stole our land, all this stuff that's <laughs> ridiculous and not true. See, cuz here's the thing. Tribes are not people of how to describe this. They're not landowners. They don't own homes. Like that tribes are migrant people. Hence they're tribal. So they they're migratory. So how can they say they actually owned anything when they didn't? The thing that is really deceitful and and just not good is that first of all native americans they are fooled by their leaders into thinking that they own where wherever they wherever they set foot on but yet they didn't actually buy the land the majority of the property they have today they didn't buy it at all and i don't even know if they have to pay taxes on it 
But here's the thing. They think they actually own the entire United States. And a lot of these tribes, not even the ones in Oklahoma, but these tribes that are in other states that have national parks, they are trying to illegally and unlawfully take over national parks because they claim that it belongs to them and, and their spirit god and all this stuff, which is a total crock. Native Americans are not native to America. They are not indigenous to here. Their ancestors came over on the land bridge many, many, many years ago, many moons ago. That was a whole long time ago. So they are not indigenous to Native American. They, they are not, excuse me, they're not indigenous to, to America. Even though they're called Native Americans, the only reason why they were called Native Americans is because that's what the Europeans called them. You know, Europeans did not know that these were migratory people. And, and they did not settle anything. They, they were nomadic. You know, Europeans thought, oh, these are people that are from here because they live here. The reason why Europeans thought that way was because that was their culture. They didn't understand nomadic living. And in terms of nomadic living, they don't own anything except what's on their back or on their horse. So just recognize that, you know, in terms of the tribes, they're totally being misled by their leaders and technically by the federal and state government. But what's going on now with these tribes is that they're totally trying to pull a fast one on the federal government and our state governments because they're trying to have their, their, their feet in both courts. It's like playing tennis. Well, you can only be on one side of the court at a time. But what these tribes are trying to do, they're trying to say, oh, we're the victim. We need, we need tax dollars. But yet they also want capitalism to operate But they don't want capitalism to operate in their people's lives. They just want it all up at the top for, for the big chief and the leaders of their tribes. Well, that's exactly what happens in communism. Take a look at communist China. They don't want their people to be free. They don't want their people to make as much money as the government people in charge. It's the same thing that happens in these tribes. But these tribes get away with it. Because they know all they have to do is play the victim card over and over and over again, and they can pretty much get whatever they want at a federal level and a state level, and that's not right. Like the United States is already a nation. We are already a nation and have our laws and bylaws and our constitution. We don't need other nations within our country, and technically it's unlawful and illegal to have other nations operating within our country. And it's also unlawful and illegal for them to, to be receiving tax dollars. Because if they are technically their own nation, then they should be collecting their own resources. They should be collecting their own taxes, but they're not doing that. That's why they're trying to play out of both sides of the court. But their people, unfortunately, have been extremely deceived. So I don't blame the people of the tribe. I don't blame their people because... It's their leaders that are deceiving them. It's, it's very unfortunate because their chiefs and their people that they put in charge, like their administrators, all the gravy's all up at the top, which is just like you know, communist parties. 
That's what happens in these communist countries. All the gravy is all up at the top. They don't care what happens to the peasants. And that's what happened in the Soviet Union. Millions of people died and starved to death because all the money was up at the top with these government leaders within the Soviet Union, which was the Communist Party. But they made it seem like banks were bad and, you know, churches were bad. All they wanted was the land and the monies from all these people and all these churches. They just wanted to legally confiscate it. And they made promises of, uh, re, you know, what's it called? Redistribution of wealth. That's the lie. Tribes and the way they think and operate is very similar to communism because they try and practice and, well, they don't even try and practice. They, they deceive their people or fooling their people into believing that there is going to be a redistribution of wealth. But it never happens. All they do is enable their leaders to steal from people that have what they want. And whatever gets stolen stays with the, le- the leaders. And it never gets actually redistributed to the people that they made promises to. So these tribal leaders are just as corrupt, if not worse, than communists. But no one wants to say it. Because they think, oh, you're, you know, you're anti Native American. Not at all. I'm pro-Native American. You know, I think that if you make a promise, you should keep that promise. But guess what? I have never met a wealthy Native American. Never. All the years I've lived in Oklahoma, all the, you know, all the Native Americans I've met, and every single one of them was nice and kind. But they never really knew what was going on within their tribe. They were broke. They were poor. And they were all deceived into thinking that they actually owned their home and their property, like their car, their vehicle, their boats, whatever. They didn't own anything. They, they had no clue. And it's just like, wow, their tribe has convinced them that supposedly the, the so-called rights they have in the tribe is better than the rights that they have from the federal government and the state government, like as a citizen of the United States. Guess what? Their rights as a tribal member are way worse and are nothing compared to the rights you have as a citizen of the United States. But because they're duped into thinking their tribe is more important than, act, than the actual country that they live in, which is the United States of America, they get duped and gypped all the time. So there really is no tribal justice. Even though they have an office of tribal justice, there really is no tribal justice. It's a scam. It's a scam and a sham. It's, it's, it's nothing short of a Ponzi scheme. I mean, why this isn't on American greed, I don't know why. But it really breaks my heart because, you know, as American citizens, they deserve better. I mean, if how they're being treated, let me put it this way. If someone treated me the same way these Native Americans are being treated, I would know for a fact my rights are being violated and continuously being violated. So if I know that it would violate my rights, what's happening to them, then I know that what is happening to them is violating their rights. But again, they, they are lulled into a false sense of security because, oh, the tribe's going to be there for you. Oh, the federal government's going to give you all this money. Oh, the state's going to help you get health care. I got news for you. 
None of that is true. And whatever you do receive, it's not what you were promised. So please wake up. Please wake up to the truth about that. And I, I really want to talk about that. I wasn't playing off, but when I saw tribal justice, I was like, I got to speak up about this because I mean, if it's not okay to treat me that way, it's not okay to treat somebody else that way. Because as far as I'm concerned, we're equals. I'm not better than them, and they're not better than me. We're equals. That, that's what makes America so great is that we have equality. But if they don't know that they have access to this equality and to federal rights and state rights, technically, then they're they're going to miss out on so much, and they have been missing out on a lot for a long time. And it's very unfortunate, but just FYI, that's what's been going on. No one wants to talk about it because. Our society is so super sensitive and just stupid sensitive. That's like, you know, we really need to start saying it like it is because that's how our grandparents used to talk about things. We used to be able to say it like it is, but because so many people are politically correct instead of being correct, that's why we have these issues and that's why these things are not being shown for what they truly are which is it's a travesty. It's not right what's happening. But anyway, let's move on. Talked enough about that. The next office that they have is office on violence against women. That's a scam and a joke because there are so many crimes committed against women so many different arenas. It's pathetic and sad. I've never heard of this office actually helping women because I would have heard about it. I'm 38 years old. I've never heard about anything good that they have done to help women. And to prevent violence, stop violence, nothing. I haven't heard anything. Next one is the Professional Responsibility Advisory Office. That's a joke. It's probably just a waste of money. Then you have the United States Attorney's Office. Then you have the United States Trustees' Offices. Then you have the Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services. Wow, creepy. Um Reminds me of SS officers and also of the policing that they have in communist China, where all they do is encourage uh, local police officers and citizens to rat on each other. So I don't really think we need policing services. I think that's really creepy. Then we have community relations service. I think that's a joke because I think communities can take care of themselves because each individual community knows what they need and what they want. So I think that should be handled at a local level. Then it lists off uh, other offices and programs that are within this division. They have the Foreign Claims Settlement Commission of the United States. They have Interpol, uh, United States National Central Bureau. They have the National Drug Intelligence Center, which is it says former, so I'm guessing it's not around anymore. Oh, this is funny. They have the Obscenity Prosecution Task Force. <laughs> I can already tell that's not around anymore. I'm I mean, just look at some of the shows that are on TV. I mean, just look at the vulgarity in the show uh, *Family Guy*, and I, I liked that show like the first four seasons. But I think the less and less that Seth MacFarlane is in charge of that show, the creepier and weirder and the more disrespectful it gets. Like there was one episode, it was horrible. I mean, they they said the Lord's name in vain. Um, they made fun of the Ark of the Covenant. It was really horrible, and my mouth dropped. It was so grotesque. I'm like, you know what? Um, I know 
Seth MacFarlane is not of a particular faith per se, because I think he's either atheist or agnostic. I think he's atheist. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Mr. Seth MacFarlane, um, but you know, considering that he's atheist or agnostic, I know that when he was more hands-on on his project, a family guy, th- there was not so much extreme obscenity or vulgarity. and there there wasn't such a lack of respect and blatant disrespect um towards the judeo-christian faith towards Jews and towards um well for me it would be messianic Judaism you know because we worship the Jewish Messiah which is also um we also worship our heavenly father so it's the triune god father son holy spirit but i can just tell i renew that the obscenity prosecution task force is no longer no longer around because if it was it would totally go after south park which is a, a hilarious show as well sometimes it gets way too extreme and then they would go after family guy but i think post season 4 um i think they would go after um american dad but not so much it's not as bad as what family guy is now um but there was one episode of family guy i saw it was so gruesome and grotesque It was so bloody. And I just thought, who is writing this? It it's so wow, just graphically horrible. Um it I just don't don't know how else to describe it. So Seth MacFarlane, if you're listening to this episode, um please talk to your writers. I would greatly appreciate that because I miss the original humor of Family Guy. I really do. I don't hardly watch Family Guy anymore. because it's it's too disturbing. You know, I really liked the original humor where, you know, you could easily poke fun at something and it might be a little extreme, but it didn't push the envelope so far into graphic horrendousness. I'm trying to think of a word. I guess degradation. And it's it's just it's too violent. It's too sick. Um there was one episode I don't know the name but it's like where th- th- there was slicing of throats it was just blood and gore and I was like who in their right mind would think this is appropriate in a cartoon and who would ever put this kind of material in a cartoon you know it's it's not um appropriate to me it was like rated triple x in terms of like ratings of how I would personally rate things and i had to shut it off so i haven't really watched family guy uh, sorry family guy as much as i used to because of that and if i do watch it i look and see what season it is because i only watch the older ones because the newer ones i can't take it which you know i'm 38 years old you know i think i'm pretty uh, mentally tough but some of this stuff i just don't want to see that i mean it's like watching predator um but in cartoon version and they're trying to make it seem like it's normal And just FYI, it's not normal. So again, Seth MacFarlane, you know, Family Guy still is your show. I wish you would take more control over it back or take back control of it uh, because I either read or saw in an interview that you don't do much of the writing and um I guess you don't do much of the producing of it and I think that's a mistake. I really do. But that's all I'm going to say about that. Needless to say, things could definitely be better. Uh, the other office or program that is involved with this agency is the United States Parole Commission. 
Um, I think sometimes bad people get parole and they should not. You know, just because someone has good behavior in prison, I don't think that warrants them being released back out into society, especially if their crime was really bad. Um, I just think sometimes we release people that we should not. Um, now, here's the flip side of that. I think we over-incarcerate. I think that violent crimes, violent offenders should be kept behind prison, especially for their full term. I think if something is drug-related or you know, embezzlement, you know, if it's white-collar crimes, I don't think it warrants staying in prison for like 100 years. Like some of these sentences for white-collar crimes is stupid. I'm just like, okay, we get the point. You're, you're irritated and I was going to use another word, but you're really irritated about this person's crime. But he, see, here's the thing. My personal opinion about white-collar crimes is that person – which usually it it's dealing with money and property and things like that because it's white collar. I do think they should serve a, a a prison sentence, but I think they should also how how to describe this? They should have the opportunity to give back to their victims. Like they should repay those monies. And all you have to do is look at the show American Greed and see how many people get incarcerated in terms of white collar crimes. But they're not given a chance and I'm not saying they actually care to do what's right but I'm just saying they're hardly ever given a chance to pay back all the money that they stole from people my personal opinion is that they should serve a federal uh sentence a term but it not be excessive and they should be back out in the private sector earning a living but a portion of every paycheck should go towards the people that they stole from because i look at it from you know like a victim point of view as well like if i was the victim of a white collar crime i want my money i want my property i want my possessions back right well if the person that stole from me is never given the opportunity ever to try and repay that debt even if they don't don't actually care to do it then whose fault is that you know what i mean like people should have the opportunity to do what's right but if you take that opportunity away from them to do what's right and to apologize or to ask for forgiveness then whose fault is that that that's our prison sentence fault right it's that's a problem there now again i think violent crime i think those people should stay behind bars their their entire term i really do because i think that when you hurt and harm somebody especially when it's graphic i'm sorry i'm not fooled by good behavior Even a serial killer can smile at you. Even a serial killer can open a door for you, but it doesn't really mean they care about human life. So I think we need to be careful about who we release back out um, into American society because I think we're taking a huge risk. And this includes um, illegal immigrants that commit crimes here in the United States. You know, there is a problem going on, at least that I know of right now, in the state of California. that the state of California has quite a few sanctuary cities and even if someone gets arrested and they are illegally here and have committed a crime even a violent crime they're not held in custody they are immediately released out onto the streets for the sake of caring about the dreamers or something but yet they don't care about the victims they don't care about the people that that person hurt and that person never gets brought to justice and the victim never gets to see justice if that victim is even alive 
Like there are some people that have been brutally murdered um, by illegal immigrants, and the person that committed the crime is basically awarded citizenship and is protected in these sanctuary cities. That's not right. Like how is that justice? Like we're totally defeating the purpose of protecting American society and protecting our citizens. We're supposed to protect American citizens from all harm. Not just people that are legally here, but people that are here illegally. We need to be how to describe this because it's it's distressing to me whenever I hear stories like this and I see the numbers of it. Um We need to actually do what we say we're going to do and protect the people of the United States. But unfortunately, we are we've gotten into a bad habit of protecting people that don't really care to honor our rules, laws, and regulations, and all they care to do is violate them. Why are we lifting up our oppressors when they they are suppressing our people and they are they're violating our laws? They don't care to change, they don't care to leave. They're just using our country for our money, for our property, for our lands and for our tax dollars. Why we tolerate this stuff, I personally don't get it. Um why we justify it, I don't get it, but it needs to stop because the American people deserve better. You know, you know we have every right to defend ourselves. You know, we have every right to bear arms. You know, we we have every right to to expect justice and to expect a safe country. Well, how can we continue to to expect safety and to expect justice if justice is not being served? And also if our law enforcement agencies, especially local ones and federal law enforcement agencies, how can they do their job if they're not being la- allowed to do their job? They're being prevented from doing their job. So basically they're they're being trained on how to do their job and do it well, but then they get shamed and blamed for doing justice and also for striving to get justice for the victims of these crimes it makes no sense like you know it doesn't make sense as i've said in the past it doesn't make sense to have a to have a a police department but take away their ability to to do their job and to do it well and also it doesn't make sense to have a town or a city or a state and have all these rules laws and legislations and regulations on the books but then don't even have a police department or a law enforcement of any kind enforcing these laws like it it's just useless writing on paper it's basically like almost like um the german currency after world war 2 or world war 1 it was worthless just because something is printed on paper doesn't mean it, it has value if you have nothing to back it up with value. See that that that's a big problem within our laws right now and our law enforcement. They are not being backed up, which is what they need. And also what they were promised. Every single person that is in law enforcement, whether it's county, local or federal or even international in regards to the United States, you know, they are made these promises within their job responsibility that hey, this is what we're paying you to do. and this is the process the procedures that you're supposed to follow but then once they actually get out in the field it's like political correctness is now trying to dictate to them what their job is and it's like 
their job is not um you know they don't report to the public law enforcement does not report to the news media law enforcement does not report to and I'm not trying to insult people in Hollywood but law enforcement does not report to movie stars they report to whatever law enforcement agency they are hired by and that they are approved to carry a badge and to enforce the laws of that badge because the laws of that badge give them give them the authority to protect american citizens but if you take away their authority they can't do their job and when they can't do their job they can't protect you and they can't protect me that's a big problem because safety is basic think about it. it's basic so if we don't even have basic safety what do we have technically we have we have quite a bit of chaos going on in our country right now which is really sad but the way that we handle that chaos is we keep it simple and we give people the authority and the right to do their job as long as they're doing their job and doing it well what's the problem the problem right now in our country is we have all these super sensitive bitter betties that need to stop sucking their thumb and they just need to grow up because you have these people that don't understand the constitution of the of the United States and they're trying to rip it apart and then they wonder why things aren't going well well if you try and dismantle your country why are you so surprised when things are in the tank you know, we need to get back to the basics of what works throw out what doesn't work and that's how a smart country operates and functions go with what works and go with what is legal and moral because again just because something is legal does not mean it's moral see what's interesting these people that are trying to dismantle our constitution in the united states they they're trying to make all these Ill, immoral things legal well you know shooting and killing somebody is immoral It's supposed to be illegal, but these illegal immigrants get away with it. And the illegal immigrants that are the biggest problem are the violent ones, and they're usually repeat offenders, but we stupidly keep releasing them out into the public. I mean, I mean I have to ask these people that that live in in political recklessville, how many women and children have to be murdered? before we we take a stand on this before we start doing what's right again before we start protecting people i mean if we really if we really value human life then we should see it you know what i mean like like, like we should be able to identify that we do value human life but if, but if we're just going to you know let bad people do whatever they want then How can we really have any rules, laws and regulations in this country? Because here's the thing, you you can't allow one group of people to violate the law, 
but then shame and blame and go after some other people and say, oh, you're breaking the law. Like that's two-faced. And that's what's going on right now. That, that's why there is some civil unrest in this country. Because we have some two-faced politicians. We have two-faced news media people on many stations, not just a few, but many. We have two-faced, um, what do you call it, political pundits, like people that have their own little talk show or something. And, and people stupidly think that they have validity And it's like just because someone is popular doesn't mean they're educated. It doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. It doesn't mean they have the best intention for you, for me, much less for this country. Like as I've said before, the proof is in the pudding. And at this point, we're not taking stock of what is actually true and what is not true. You know, we really need to get back to the facts And we really need to focus on what is good for our country. Because if we focus on what is actually good for our country, then we will have equality. We will have safety. And we will have justice. Because it should be justice for all, not just for the few. See, whenever we have sanctuary cities and we are releasing dangerous people, dangerous illegal immigrants back onto the streets... All you're doing is having justice for the few, but it's the wrong few. It's not even for the victims. It's not even for the oppressed. You are enabling bad people to continue to be bad. I think even a psychologist or a psychiatrist would tell you, hey, you've got a problem here and you don't need counseling to figure that out. So we really need to work on some things here. Let me get a drink of water. Hold on just a moment. But moving on, it says, now I'm not sure if this is completely accurate, but it says here in March 2003, the United States Immigration and Naturalization Service was abolished and its functions transferred to the United States Department of Homeland Security. The Executive Office for Immigration Review and the Board of Immigration Appeals, which review decisions made by government officials under immigration and nationality law, remain under jurisdiction of the, of the Department of Justice. I haven't necessarily verified that, but that would kind of surprise me, but at the same time it wouldn't, because I know that the Department of Homeland Security, they really did try and take over different aspects of things, especially since post-9-11. So I kind of wonder if that was a knee-jerk reaction, it knee-jerk reaction if they actually if that actually did happen. Excuse me, I'm getting tongue-tied. So, I will do what I can to investigate that and see if that's actually true, but if it is true, it kind of wouldn't surprise me again considering what all happened um with the development and the you know establishing the Department of Homeland Security and TSA and all this stuff in response to 9/11 because I do know that it is It is horrible that our country gets attacked. I just don't think we should overdo it on establishing all these different federal bureaucracies because all it did was create at least from my experience when I travel now especially for work, it's not always pleasant dealing with TSA agents, which I've talked about in another podcast. Um, you know, they act like they own you. And it's like, no you don't. Um you work at an airport and yes you do have responsibilities and yes you do have um 
some power here, but you're not over me and you're not above me. My tax dollars pay for your job, so show some respect. Um, there, are, there are some TSA agents, both male and female, that are horrible to women. And I'm like, you're not patting me down and you're not going to touch me like that. And it's very disappointing to me that, that bad people get hired and stay employed as TSA agents when they have no business being in that position of power. But it's a power trip for them. I mean, they're almost acting like a dirty cop. So if it's not okay to have a dirty cop on the police force, why do we have some unethical people being TSA agents, is my point. So whenever I read things like this in regards to the Department of Homeland Security and in regards to the Immigration and Naturalization Service, I just want to give you a heads up. I, I don't know exactly what all they do with that. So just be aware of that. I will look into it and let you know what I find, but... Just know that I don't exactly have a positive opinion of the Department of Homeland Security. It's because of TSA agents. I do know that they do do some good, but I think that they could work on their behavior, and I think they could work on their mannerisms and actually hire good, kind people that, um, that don't make it a point to intimidate you and be a jerk. Because there's a way to enforce laws you know, without being an animal, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But it goes on to say, On October 5th, 2021, U.S. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco um, announced the formation of a cryptocurrency enforcement team uh, during the Aspen Cyber Summit. So maybe she went skiing at that time if it's Aspen, Colorado. The next section is kind of disappointing. It's about the finances and budget. So this would explain why they're overspending and why there's a big issue. And let me stand and stretch my legs because I've been sitting for a little over an hour. <coughs> so we're going to talk about, this is as of 2015, the data that I am about to convey to you. So it says, in 2015, the Department of Justice's budget was as follows. So I'm going to list the program and how much in funding they spend. And this is in the millions, Okay. So there's a reason why they were up to $29.9 billion. It's because of this overspending. So the first program, which I'm not surprised that is overspending, is a general administration, so basically professional paper pushers, and they spend $129 million. The next one is Justice Information Sharing Technology, basically a, a useless, wasteful IT department. They spend $26 million. The next one, I'm not surprised by this, is the Administrative Reviews and Appeals. They spend a whopping $351 million, and that's broken down into the Executive Office for Immigration Review. They take up $347 million. The other part is the Office of the Pardon Attorney. They take up about $4 million. The next one is the Office of the Inspector General. They spend about $89 million. The next one is the United States Parole Commission. They spend about $13 million. The next one is the National Security, sorry, Security Division. They spend about $92 million. The next department or within this or programs, excuse me, is legal activities. Getting a drink of water because the air is dry here in Oklahoma. Okay, so the Office of the Solicitor General, they spend about $12 million. 
And this is a year, okay? So this is not just overall. This is per year. Their tax division spends about $109 million. The criminal division spends $202 million. The civil division spends $298 million. Oh, this is interesting. The environmental and natural resources division spends about $112 million. The office of legal counsel spends $7 million. The civil rights division, which is a total waste of money, spends $162 million. The antitrust division also spends $162 million. The United States attorney's office or division spends, woo, they spend, oh gosh, I think it's 1.9, a little over $1.9 billion. That's a lot. Then you have the United States bankruptcy trustees. They spend $226 million. The next is law enforcement activities. So you have the United States Marshals Service. They spend a little over $2.6 billion. You have the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They spend it's about $8.3 billion. Let's see here. Drug Enforcement Administration, a little over $2 billion. Then you have the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. They spend a little over $1.2 billion. You have the Federal Bureau of Prisons. They spend a little over $6.8 billion. And these numbers seem a little off, so I'm going to add these up at the end because something seems a little off. But they are high. The Interpol office, uh, Interpol Washington office spends about $32 million. Then their grant programs, you have the Office of Justice programs, they spend a little over $1.4 billion. Then you have the Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services, which is a total waste, or sorry, policing, excuse me. The Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services, they spend $248 million. The Office on Violence Against Women, $410 million. Considering they spend almost half a billion dollars and don't do very much, that's really sad in regards to how they don't help women. And it, it lists that they have mandatory spending. I have no idea what that means. It's a little over $4 billion. Now, the only thing I can think of in regards to that is it reminds me of this lady that I know that used to work for, um, I think it was a state job. And she was complaining, like kind of bragging how much money she has to spend because they, if they don't spend it in terms of tax dollars that are allotted to their department, then the government cuts back. So she was trying to find things to spend our money on for their office, copiers, paper, uh, paper um, laser jet printers, um, ink, pens, pencils, post-its, you name it, she was trying to spend it because if she doesn't spend money on it, then... I guess it looks bad on their agency, which is dumb because you would think that the government, whether federal or state, would want them to try and not spend so much money. But she did not want to take a risk of not having money. So she definitely practiced some greed there. But I'm going to try and pause this recording and add these up because it doesn't look right. So if this episode accidentally freezes, then I will post it as is. But hold on just a moment. I'm going to try and add this up. And come back to you. So hold that thought. Okay, I am back. Hopefully this is working. Good. Okay, I see on my screen that it is recording me. So I did the math. And here's the thing. 
Um, actually, they are spending a little bit more than $29.9 billion. It is actually 30, 30, sorry, 30.9 billion dollars. try to think. So it was 29.9 billion. It's actually 30.31 billion. So a little over 30 billion dollars. So it's like 30 billion, 31 million dollars. However you want to describe that. Um so it's kind of hard to imagine that much spending within this department, but I think they get away with it because they're claiming justice, but As we saw there's so many offices that don't really need to be happening and plus I find it very interesting that they spend billions of dollars but you know they only have what was 113,000 employees so the way that I tend to look at organizations is I look at okay how much are they spending and then you divide that out basically per employee because that's basically how how to describe this so it tells me how much technically they're overspending because i look at okay if a if a company let me put it this way if a private sector company was spending over 30 billion dollars a year but they only had 113,000 employees wouldn't you find that odd because this is 30 billion dollars that they're spending they're not making this money that's why they're overspending it in terms of the federal government is because they're not actually earning it they're using someone else's money which is our tax dollars so as unfortunate as that is it's very sad and i don't like to see bad things happen like that in terms of overspending i mean nobody likes to see anything bad happen of course but this is very disturbing to me because it just shows you that they don't really care about how much money they are taking from the american people and misusing it and abusing it now i went ahead and did the math i divide by i divide that big billion something number by how many employees they have and let me see here it comes out to be about hold on a second let me write this down cuz i don't want to tell you wrong cuz i prefer correct information So let me see here. Basically, if you divide that number out, I'm not saying they actually are spending this per employee, but if you divide the the number of employees by how much they spend in terms of our tax dollars, they're basically spending $267,900, sorry, $267,959 per employee. Now, does it really cost that much per employee? No. And not every employee makes that kind of money, and I'm not saying that. But the money is going somewhere. They're they're overspending on things. And one reason why they're overspending is because of government contracts. And if you want to understand government contracts, you might want to look up some of the Senate or congressional hearings. about private contractors and contracts that the federal government gets in business with with some of these companies because they they stupidly overpay these people and they overpay on these contracts because there's so many companies and I'm not saying that contractors are bad because they're not but I'm just saying that sometimes the federal government is really stupid when it comes to spending money because it's spending someone else's money 
And it's not taking into account that they need to find the right people at the right price. That doesn't mean that you do cheap labor and you do a bad contract. I'm not saying that at all. But there was a Senate hearing that talked about, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think they were trying to provide benefits or housing or something for military families. And so the federal government contracted with this contractor and they were horrible to military families on whatever they were supposed to do. I think it was housing or something. I have to look it up. But they wasted so much money and then they didn't even really help our veterans. They didn't really help our military families. So it's like, you know, there there was an accountability and there should be accountability there, especially when you're dealing with tax dollars. I don't care if it's just a couple hundred or several billion. And in regards to this department, the Department of Justice, the DOJ, they're spending a little over 30 billion dollars and this number is old. So just imagine how much money they're spending as of 20 uh, 2022. So it's important to remember that yes, we do need federal agencies, but you know, they need to be held accountable for the money that they're spending and the money that that they are wasting. Because you know, these are monies that we can never get back. That's the thing. Government does not create wealth. It does not create jobs. Whenever a candidate, whether Republican or Democrat, says, "Oh, we're going to we're going to create jobs," you know, the only way that they can actually create jobs is if they hire more people that work for the federal government. That would actually be a true statement. If they say we're going to create a million jobs, well, are they going to have a million more people work for the federal government? No, the federal government cannot afford that because the federal government does not create wealth. It does not create jobs. Jobs are only created in the private sector, predominantly because of capitalism. So if you don't have capitalism, you got a big problem. If you don't have fair labor and fair trade or a free market, you've got a big problem. Which here's the thing: the government has systematically. When I say the government, I mean the federal government. Unfortunately, whenever you get some of these extremists into office, and this has happened whether Democrat or Republican, both parties are guilty of this. Sometimes when you get extremists in there, they overmobilize the federal government, and so what happens is they immediately go after the private sector because they want the money. We've seen that issue, and in regards to this episode, we've seen this happen in regards to tribes. In other episodes, we've seen this happen um, in in communist countries, in countries that practice fascism and also socialism. They're always going after someone else's money, but when you have a truly capitalistic society and you focus on freedom and liberty and democracy, and you actually have democracy and freedom in your country then everyone is free to make as much money as they want but anything outside of capitalism and anything outside of democracy you will not have that freedom to do so and that freedom systematically gets taken away from its citizens which is you and me it gets taken away from us by whoever we put in charge which would be different people within the federal government it's not just people that we elect Because what you have to remember is that whoever you whoever you elect is who you allow 
And you authorize to appoint all these different people to all these different federal agencies. That's why we're going over all these different federal agencies. And I just want to you know, remind you, most federal agencies are good. Most of them. You know, the Department of Justice, the DOJ, it is a good agency. It's just, it's not balancing, it's not balancing its budget. It's not dotting its I's, it's not crossing its T's. You know, it's like the, the EPA, which is also a federal agency, but it's bloated. It's, it's like a fat tick on the, on the back of a deer. It's just sucking it dry and causing a problem. So, you know, do these federal agencies do good? Yes, of course they do. What is bad is when they have all these programs and they overspend. Some programs we do need. I agree with you on that. Some we do not need. And we need to balance a budget. Departments like this couldn't balance a checkbook even if you paid them to do so. Because why would they want to balance it when they can spend billions of dollars? It makes no sense to me. So what really is kind of hypocritical, and I'll close with this, it's hypocritical for the federal government to criticize Wall Street for the money that they make, yet the federal government is spending billions of tax dollars that we can never get back. And the reason why we can never get those tax dollars back is that whatever monies the, the, the federal government takes out of your paycheck, it is taken out of the currency system. It's no longer in the, in the market to be spent. You know, like, for example, when I go to McDonald's and buy a Happy Meal, that money is still in our capitalistic society. It's still in the private sector. So whenever I go to McDonald's and I buy a Happy Meal, that money is going towards paying someone's salary. It's going towards um, the investments of the owner. Like if they want to buy another McDonald's or start another franchise or if they want to pay for their employees' benefits or maybe they want to give someone a raise, it, 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 how to describe this? It continues to flow within the, the money market that we have here in the United States, which is our economy. The federal government and state government are completely different. Now, in this example, I'm predominantly talking about federal tax dollars, but the state is very similar when you're paying taxes to that. Whatever monies are taken out of your check, it doesn't get utilized in another way that, that promotes our economy. It's permanently taken out of the flow of money. That's why whenever we see overspending of the federal government and even the state government, it can quickly lead towards inflation, which is what is happening right now. See, inflation is a telltale sign of overspending, too high of taxes for too long of a period of time, not enough job growth, and it also is very telltelling of a, I don't want to have to say this, but it, it, it basically says that your banking system is not as strong as it should be because your interest rates are a direct reflection or an indicator of the stability of your banking system and the flow of your currency. See, how to describe this better? I feel like I'm not hitting the nail on the head, so, so forgive me. Okay, let me put it this way. The more monies you have taken out of your paychecks in regards to taxes, 
it gets closer and closer to what the Soviet Union did in terms of communism where it overtaxed people and then it made it so that pretty much everybody had a state job because the government which was the communist party controlled all labor and they also controlled all pricing of goods well because their government controlled all that it ruined their economy it ruined their country every single time a government entity not just the soviet union but every single time a government entity has taken over the private sector of that country and has tried to take over the currency and the banking system it has always failed always and it it has always led to the complete annihilation of the middle class their jobs their property their livelihood always it has always led to more poverty and it it has always led to more rich people becoming middle class or poor the phrase that the rich will always get richer is a flat out lie that's not true there are many rich people that have lost everything because of communist countries socialistic countries and fascist countries no one wants to say it because it's quote unquote not politically correct well here on this show we strive to do everything correctly and to say it like it is and to practice common sense cuz i would rather practice common sense than stupidity or ignorance because you know ignorance is only blissful for so long before you become a sucker to whatever lie you have believed in So the goal of this show is to not be a sucker. It's for pretty much everybody to be successful as as you want to be. I mean, I I tell my listeners, I tell you guys as much as possible, if you want to be a millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire, quadrillionaire, whatever the word is, go be one. I pray for you. I pray that you are you are abundantly blessed and that you do tremendously well in your life. I think you have every right to make as much money as you want to as long as it is legal and moral. Because again, just because something legal, just because something is legal does not mean it's moral. But every single one of us has a right to be successful. Now those rights, you know, our rights to be successful are not dictated by the government. They do not come to us from a federal or state level. You know, your right to be successful lives on the side uh, on the inside of you. your god-given talent, you know, your god-given ability, you know, your hopes, your dreams, you know, your desires, what you want to accomplish. You know, there's pie in the sky, go get it. Even in in tough times like right now. People, there are some people that are making millions of dollars, it might as well be be you. I mean, just go for it. And I look at it this way. If you're at the bottom looking up, What a great opportunity to be successful because the only way you can go is up. So just assume and believe that you are going to be successful and you know take a leap of faith and do it. Be courageous, do something new. Do something wonderful. It, it, you know that that's one of the great things about the United States is that we have the ability to do that. Even in the face of a federal government that's overspending shows no signs of stopping at this point unfortunately we still have the ability to do great things in our life because that is who we are as Americans that's who we are as a country you know i i think it's very common 
that most people want to leave their country in a better state than when they inherited it. I think that just flows naturally through our veins. Like I I don't want to give you know my children a country that's destabilized, has a horrible currency or lost their currency or high interest rates or you know what I mean? I I don't want anything bad for my children. I want them to have everything that is good. But I also know that I will teach my children that hey, this is not something that you take for granted. This is something that you earn and you work for and you work towards. I'm not saying it has to be difficult every day of your life. I'm not saying that. Not by any means. I don't think people should live in hardship. I I don't believe in that, but I'm saying that with how to describe this? With large results come great responsibilities. Like our freedom is not free. It costs money to be free. And if you're hearing some funky noises, that's my refrigerator acting weird yet again. Um but anyway, we need to be mindful of what we have been of what we have been given and what we give to future generations. You know, the last thing I want to give future generations, the last thing I want to give my children is a was it 30.30.3 billion dollar budget in the Department of Justice. That's insane. And this is just one agency. Like like this is just one department. Like that's why our debt is so high. is because of overspending like this. So needless to say, we need to view our tax dollars and our federal government as well as our state governments like a business. We need to balance our books, balance our budgets, you know, make sure the right hand is aware of what the left hand is doing, have transparency, be open, be honest. and really care about the future. Well, I'm going to I'm going to extend that. Care about the here and now and the future because I feel like sometimes people just go, "Oh, yeah, we need to care about the future." Well, here's the thing. Today once was the future of yesterday. So we need to care about all of it. We need to do what's right today and in the future, not just the not just in the future because I feel like sometimes people they they push the future out so far that they they're not doing what's right in the here and now which the future is determined by what we do in the here and now not in the later by and by but the right here right now and i do think that we can get a handle on this and really help our federal government understand that we can't be spending like this The federal government is spending like a spoiled rotten little kid on aisle 7 at a Toys R Us, which again, Toys R Us went belly up, they went bankrupt. They didn't handle their inventory right and they didn't handle their stores right, unfortunately. And plus I think online businesses ruined them as well in terms of online commerce, but here's the thing. We cannot afford to act like spoiled rotten little little children, excuse me. And if we can't afford to act that way, neither can our federal government. So being that we are citizens of the United States, when we hold the federal government accountable, technically that also means we are holding ourselves accountable. 
And the way that we hold ourselves accountable is by how we vote at the voting booth. That includes state, local, and federal levels. Every election, I don't care how minuscule it is, every election is important. And if you have the right to vote in this country, you need to get out and vote. Even if I disagree with how you vote, not my problem, not my business, I care more that you get out and vote and that you do the right thing. And that is letting your voice be heard. If you actually believe that the federal government should spend this kind of money and ruin our interest rates, ruin our currency, ruin our country's future, if that's truly what you believe in, which would be shocking, then vote that way. But let me say this, your vote you are responsible for your vote where it's good bad or ugly and if you don't get out and vote but yet you have the right to vote you have no right to complain because if someone's not going to be involved in our country but yet they should be involved they're missing out on a golden opportunity to do what's right and that opportunity is to lead our country into the future No every single one of us I know this is probably going to sound crazy but every single one of us whether we realize it or not all of us have a leadership trait and we all have a leadership responsibility even though we may not be serving in public office we may not be a CEO we all technically have leadership desires and responsibilities on the inside of us because I truly do believe that we all care about our future and our destiny. And if you care about your future, your future and your destiny, that doesn't mean you are a follower, that means you are a leader. Because when you are a leader, you care and you take responsibility, how are this? You take responsibility for what you care about. Excuse me, I'm getting tongue-tied cuz my mouth is dry. Let me get another drink of water. And I will close out this podcast. Needless to say, it is important that we actually care. And that when we do care, that we take how to describe this, the appropriate actions and the appropriate mindset. I think we have seen many examples of what not to do. So why don't we start doing the right thing and set the example of what to do correctly? And I think we already know what to do. I just think our country has just gotten a little off track. And here's the thing: the longer we stay off track, the worse it gets. That, I mean, that, that's just how it is in any country. You know, the the United States is not immune to hardship, but we can we can take a lot because you know. We are a I would say we are one of the most stable countries on the face of this earth, but here's the thing. The more you tolerate instability, the more unstable your country becomes and that includes your economy, your real estate, your income brackets, and your tax dollars. So, I think we should care about these things, and I think other people do care. I really do. I just think that we should be aware of it. especially since we have all these different elections coming up and we really need to take stock of voting for the right person 
not just political correctness, not just oh their agenda matches my agenda. Well, what if your agenda is wrong? I'm not trying to be mean, but what if your agenda does not have the best intentions towards your country? Then what kind of people do you think you're going to vote into office? You know what I mean like One thing I you know, one of the things I do whenever elections come up, I really do what I can to look at all the candidates regardless of whether they're a Democrat or Republican. Cuz sometimes I don't agree with Republicans even though I am a registered Republican and I am a capitalist and I believe in democracy and freedom and those things. Sometimes I'm not always a fan of Republicans. Sometimes I don't agree with what they want to do. Sometimes the Democrat sounds better. But if I never look into it and I never investigate and I never figure out okay what do they want to do and what do they represent like like what is their agenda and also what is their character as as much as I can decipher you know what I mean without personally knowing these people what what can I gather and I don't mean like looking up stuff on Facebook and muckraking I don't play that game I think that's incredibly disrespectful to people to do such things I'm looking at what have they done in the past that's public and that is you know representative of their work what are they saying they want to do and what do they know what they want to do like like what are they basically what is their to-do list what is it that they want to accomplish in serving the american people cuz to me there are two different types of candidates candidates that want to serve America and those that want to be served. I don't like people that are in office that that expect us to serve them because they totally miss the mark of serving in a public service arena. So we need to make sure that we elect people that actually care about the American people, want to serve the American people, but also are are just not lip service for whoever is puppeteering them like i don't want puppets for officials we've seen that in other countries we don't need that here because any time you have a puppet basically means you have a regime and i think whenever you side with socialism fascism or communism sadly you take a huge risk of having a pretty horrible regime taking over your country, your economy, your job market, um your private sector because regimes always destroy the common good, they always destroy your currency and they always confiscate or do what they can to confiscate property, monies, um citizenship rights. I mean, you name it, they go after it, but it's it's usually systematic. It's usually not all at once. Like for example, you know when the Nazis came into power, m- many people were for them. But that's because they didn't know everything they wanted to do. You know, they didn't know about the master plan or the final solution or whatever they called it about exterminating all the Jews. I don't even think people really realized that the Nazis it was always their intention to take over banks, to confiscate people's bank accounts, confiscate their property. confiscate their businesses make it so that citizens had no access to anything confiscate their arms 
you know, confiscate their weaponry so they can't defend themselves. But you see, they they did these things systematically because if they had made an agenda of all the bad stuff they want to do and say, "Oh, put us in power. This is all that we all that we want to do." And to top it all off, the biggest thing we want to do is murder all these people that are Jewish and steal from them and make it legal to steal from them and kill them. See, that that's what happens when when you don't really know who you are electing. But here's the thing, if you elect people that are geared towards communism, fascism or socialism, they are pretty much never going to be for human rights. They can say they are and they can say they care, but they really don't. They just shame and blame people that they typically want to try and legally steal from. And the way that they legally steal from them is they make the illegal legal. Which is what the Soviet Union did. It's what the Nazis did. It's what Mussolini did. I mean, you know, these things are nothing new, but you know, sadly sometimes history repeats itself in regards to electing bad people into office that don't really have good intentions towards everybody. See, that's why we need to focus on people getting elected to office that actually care about the constitution because they value all human life. And and they believe equal rights, not limited rights, not nepotism rights, but equal rights. And that those rights apply to actual citizens, not to illegals, not to people just visiting here. We need to make sure that we elect people that actually understand our constitutional rights because if we elect people that do not understand our constitutional rights which belong to you and to me, then they are not going to defend or protect your constitutional rights within their office that they have power at. That's where it gets tricky and concerning. So that's one reason why we're going over, you know, these different agencies is to show the pros and the cons and what is good and what needs to be worked on. You know, I'll say that in regards to the Department of Justice, the good thing is that they employ quite a few people because if you think about, it, they employ over 100,000 people and I have no doubt they do good work. Also, this agency or this uh, department has been around a long time. been around since 1870 so obviously it was deemed important enough to create because they were having issues and from the get go they always wanted there to be justice because they know that there is a problem with uh people not having civil liberty and their civil rights being violated and that they need to handle these things now there are some things that they do that are good especially in regards to these different divisions I would say you know we've looked in times past at what the United States Marshal Service does I think they do a good job of what they do and they go back to 1789 so obviously they're doing a good job the FBI sometimes they do a good job sometimes they don't when they do a good job it's amazing when they do a bad job wow it's pretty bad um the federal bureau of prisons We do need prisons at a federal level. I just wish that 
that the incarceration rate was not so high and that their sentences were not so long because it's white collar crimes again it's not violent crime typically I'll say that typically it's non-violent crime the bureau of alcohol tobacco firearms and explosives the ATF I'm kind of disappointed that they don't do more to limit the mentally ill getting access to firearms uh people that have a history of mental illness I think it should be really how to describe this without offending someone. I think we need to do a better job of being strict about that. I don't think we should be strict on people that have not been diagnosed with something or that have not had had an issue because then you're punishing everybody for the actions of the few. And then that would go against people's right to bear arms. So we need to be careful about that. I think in regards to them being concerned about alcohol, um, you know, you have to remember that you know they handled a lot of prohibition, but it didn't it didn't stop alcohol. <laughs> so, and uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a drink. So, you know, we kind of need to be aware of that. I'm not a huge fan of all these offices that they have because I think the reason why their budget is so large and why they overspend is because they have all these different offices that. I don't really see how they help our our nation. I really don't. Um I think they overemploy people and I think they have all these programs and offices that we don't need. I just wish that they did a better job of handling their budget big time. I think that would help them out tremendously. Cuz like for example, I don't know why they have an environmental environmental and natural resources division. They have nothing to do with, with the EPA. Like that makes no sense to me. You know, there again, I understand that I'm just I'm on the outside looking in, right? Because I don't have a federal job. I don't have an inside track to this. I I don't know the ins and outs to it. But I know that from a taxpayer point of view and from a citizen point of view, there are a great many things that concern me about the DOJ, and especially some of the things that they've done that have not been that great. in terms of who they have taken to court and how they took them to court um which we'll go over that later because this is almost 2 hours that we're going on with this one but you know this one was definitely an interesting podcast to go over because it is important it is part of the United States and they do they do do some good i know that they do excuse me i i have the hiccup sorry um I just wish they did a better job of what they do because I know that whenever a scandal breaks with these people with this department it's usually really bad. Um which of course you know when a scandal breaks, you know, we the American people, we have every right to be aware of it. And and we should know these things and and we should you know be aware of it and do the best we can to handle it and you know to elect good people into office that can appoint better people and you know stop this overspending because again They only have 100 a little over 113,000 employees as of 2019, but they spend a little over 30 billion dollars a year. And that's not revenue. Those are tax dollars. So this department, which you have to remember again with federal agencies, is that they don't make any money, they just tax it and spend it. They tax us and then spend it, excuse me. So But I will go ahead and end this podcast. Um I hope that you enjoy this one. You know, do leave me some feedback. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. 
because we do have quite a few listeners listening in from other countries as well. So do feel free to message me. There should be a contact me uh, button on the podcast website. And I know that this is heard on many different platforms. So that's always good to see that. So do contact me and let me know what what you thought about this episode and also, you know, maybe let me know what you would like to hear because for example, I can tell that people are not always enjoying these super fun sites. <laughs> so maybe that will just be my personal reading about all the super fun sites that we have in the United States that we need to clean up. But anyway, until next time, as usual, I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you.